Well, hello everyone. I'm your host, Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. Speaking of teaming up with experts, we really want to hear from you. And I mean that, you all. If you have a specific topic you'd be interested in suggesting, please email us at podcast, that's with an S, at hci.org. I am so excited. You as listeners, you've probably gotten to know me a little bit and you know how passionate I am about development and really HR, a lot of development involved in that space. But I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Carrie Graham, and we had a great opportunity to chit-chat, and I'm so excited to have her on our podcast today. So let me tell you about who we're going to have a conversation with today. Um, Dr. Graham is an adult learning expert and instructional design strategist with 25 years of experience strategically designing learning experiences that improve engagement ensure information retention and appropriate skill application. Her service-based clients are committed to providing quality content and skills development opportunities for adults. Dr. Graham, we are so delighted to have you here at Nine to Thrive. Oh, Cindy, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to spend some time with you and your audience and have a great conversation around HR topics, talent management, development. I can't wait. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. And hey, I wanted to, something just, uh, you know, had when I was thinking about getting ready to have this conversation with you today, I hope you're okay with me asking this. We had talked about when we spoke earlier a little bit of how you made the transition. You had shared with me, and I'll ask if you don't mind to share it in your own words, but you had shared with me a little bit of a story about that really significant moment that you realized that there was a need for your talents in the landscape. Do you remember that conversation? I know exactly. Okay. What you're Do you mind sharing that with our listeners just so they get an idea behind your values? Absolutely. Absolutely. So in order to set the scene for the uh, for this story, picture it, Sicily, 1929. <laughs> just kidding. So I have my background is in sports medicine. So I started my professional career as a healthcare provider and Annually, to maintain my credentials, I had to go through continuing education. And as a new professional in the field, it was great. I went to our annual conference and got a lot of information, took it back, was able to apply it. Well, fast forward five, 10 years into being a healthcare provider, I would spend time away from my family and a significant amount of money to attend these annual conferences. And every year that passed, I was getting less information from the conference, less value. And so my interest was starting to wane. So after a while, I then um, transitioned to becoming a university professor. And in that, you know, it was a deep dive into curriculum development and instructional design, but I was a state employee at that point. And I remember very distinctly that 
as a state employee, we were mandated to sit through a sexual harassment training. And, you know, as someone who's accustomed to doing annual trainings, attending annual trainings, I said, all right, fine, I understand this. So I'm sitting through this sexual harassment training with about 200 other employees of this institution. And I look around me, there were people chatting, there were, unfortunately, some people were sleeping, there were people playing games on their phones. And all of this was happening while the institution was in the midst of a very public sexual harassment litigation. So when I look back at you know, those two parts of my professional career as a healthcare provider and recognizing that the trainings were not meeting my needs, coupled with sitting through a sexual harassment training and recognizing that the messaging, you know, it wasn't sticking with the employees because the institution was in litigation around that very topic. Um, that's really when I realized something needs to change. And as a society, we can do better. People are required, healthcare professionals and others are required to have these continuing education units that are costly. They should get a return on that. And as well as organizations that are putting together and financing trainings they should also have, those trainings should have the impact on employee behavior, employee work, as well as organizational culture. So that's the story that I share with people. It's those two things together um, really did it for me. And I, I am so thankful that I had the opportunity to get a PhD in specifically adult learning and my research interest lies in workplace learning specifically. And, and it has been quite the journey in this time. It's amazing. And I know, I re- like I said, I significantly remember you sharing that story with me when we had spoke previously. And, and it resonated with me, too, because, you know, I like to say oftentimes our uh, careers kind of are a little bit of a squiggly line. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just <laughs> never know when that moment is going to hit. And you had that moment. Yeah. And it really catapulted you. So when you when you shared with us and you talked about that return on investment for both participants and for, you know, whomever the client may be, the institution may be, tell our listeners or kind of give us, you know, so that we're all on the same playing field. Talk a little bit about what your frame of reference is when you think about what adult learning is. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So adult learning, the position that I take, it's truly based on the theory. And, you know, most people who are creators of learning programs, they're doing it from the frame of reference of either what they've experienced or what they've seen. And oftentimes those are based on teaching children, pedagogy. And there is, in fact, a line of research and a theoretical line of study, adult learning, andragogy, which solely focuses on what are the motivators that propel adults to learn? What are the best ways that we can support adults in their learning, removing barriers? 
and scaffolding their retention of that information? And then what can we do to ensure that they are accurately applying that skill set that, you know, that we're taking them through? So I do take a, a theoretical approach to adult learning. And one of the things that I share with people when I say that, they kind of look at me as if to say, oh gosh, she's a dry old academic. And the reality is, is that is part of my background, but my original beginnings were as a healthcare provider. So I recognize the importance of application. I don't talk about theories with my clients. I know the theories and I understand them and I'm consistently seeking the right philosophical and theoretical approaches to match with organizational values. And then I use that you know, to ground my recommendations for practical application. So I really do take the um, a theories-based approach. And it's because the theories are the theories. They don't change with the changes in our society. You know, it's everyone was kind of going along pre-pandemic. Everyone was going along doing their trainings and learning and development, you know, in however they were doing it. And then we had this monumental um, cultural event or global event that happened. And so things had to change. That's true. But the theory is the theory is the theory. It has stayed the same. It's the difference is how do we take that same theory and apply it to this different context? Absolutely. And, you know, it's so interesting. I love that you bring up what are those theories to teaching children? And then we also have theories around teaching adults. And I do feel like, because that was what my graduate degree was in. And I didn't even know until the early 2000s that those existed. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden I'm writing content for adults. I didn't have the language for it at the time. I didn't have the theories at the time, but I knew when I'm watching their faces, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is not working (laughs) in the way that it should. And that's when I discovered it too. So I appreciate and I value, and I think our listeners value too, that theories are theories, just like data is data. Theories Absolutely. are theories. And, and we build upon that. And you are able to, just as you're saying, you're able to use those theories to then craft, mm-hmm. right? These This wonderful instruction mm-hmm. or guide your clients towards wonderful instruction to be able to get that return because that's ultimately what we're looking for. Which brings me to my question, Dr. Graham. Yeah. Talk to us then. Talked a little bit about adult learning. Talk to us then how can being ground in that theory, being ground in adult learning theory, how are businesses or your clients, how are they benefiting from you investing and utilizing those theories as those methodologies? Yeah. So it's, you know, when we think about adult learning best practices. So it's not so much as just the the theory, but the theory informs the best practices. So the assumptions about adult learners, it's out there. It's common, not you know, relatively common knowledge. People in the LD space, you know, have have mentioned those. But one of the things that I've found is that that's where it stops in the online market. It's let's share these assumptions about adults and expect the reader to implement it on their own. 
And so that's where I step in and I look at the organizational values or if it's a smaller company, you know, what is their goal? What are they trying to achieve? And in that, I say, all right, well, let's then look at what's the experience that you want people to have? Do we understand why they're showing up? You know, so looking at those assumptions about it, who adults are as learners and matching it with the expected outcomes that the organization has, I bridge that gap for them. And because it's so often I've been told we're too close to see it. And then when I, you know, point out areas of opportunity to make improvements or areas that need a gap to be filled, consistently my clients have said, I didn't realize that. Oh my goodness, this makes so much sense. And why isn't everyone else doing this? And, you know, I simply say, it is a small field, you know, the, the field of adult learning. It is, in fact, a small, very niche field of study and research. And when you have a lot of other things to juggle, right, like I, I don't ever want to give the impression that I don't think people have the opportunity. They're choosing to not use best practices. Let me say that. But rather, I recognize that when you're in HR, if you are on you know, a department of one, you're attempting to onboard, train, uh, like skills train, then you're attempting to do all the other things. And to sit down and plot out a strategy for your adult learning and training and development, it may not be a priority. And I recognize that. And so that's why I I use a very humanistic approach to say, well, what, you know, what are the needs? What are the potential barriers? And what's the easiest and most effective way that we can achieve that? You know, and that comes from my background as a healthcare provider in a very high stress environment. It's okay, we need to find a solution very quickly. And you know, I never, I'm like, man, I, I left healthcare and, and university athletics. The world can't be as stressful as that. And this, you know, that's a skill set that I'm leaving behind. But the reality is I actually use that skill set with people all the time. That's amazing. I appreciate that you said, and I'm sure our listeners do too, as you know, L&D departments within organizations tend to shrink um, when budgets shrink. Yeah. Um, and so I appreciate that. Uh, though, though I do, I do think we're starting to see a paradigm shift with that because I do think with the idea of we really want to make sure we're developing our folks and and the concept around engagement and those two being so well tied together. Um, maybe that's not the case anymore. However, I appreciated your point in saying that you know when you've got a department of one. And you've got deliverables and tasks and things to accomplish. You're just getting it done. You're, you're yeah. getting it done. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. And to, you know, Cindy, to your point about the paradigm shift in the industry right now, one of the things that I've seen consistently for a couple months is this conversation around reskilling and upskilling. Yes. And yes. I understand where it comes from and the intention of where that conversation wants to go. But what I see in the middle is 
okay, well, we have to create something else. We have to create new trainings to upskill, new trainings to reskill. And I push back against that. Like, I am not a proponent of let's take on new things. I always say there's a foundation there somewhere. Let's go back and look at what currently exists. Because one, that's what the people are familiar with. And, you know, the employees are familiar with it and the developers are familiar with it. Let's go back and look at it strategically and see what small changes do we need to make in order for it to be more impactful. But that's, you know, the conversations that leave it open and give the impression that, okay, now we have to do more. I cannot get on board with that messaging because it adds so much more stress to the person that actually has to do it. And that's, you know, I grew up from the time of what's fair and what's not fair. And that's just yeah. not fair. Yeah, it's not yeah. fair to, to put that on someone. Well, and it's just so it's, there's wisdom in that conversation and whether it's in learning and development or whether it's in another area of HR, there's wisdom in the conversation of what do you have? Mm-hmm. What can we build on? What can we tweak? Right. Um, isn't that just kind of how personally and professionally, well, I shouldn't say that's how we live and grow, but kind of, right? We we think about where are we now? Where do we need to go? And is there a little bit of a gap there that we need to close? And that doesn't necessarily mean starting over. Absolutely. And, you know, to that point, I'm so happy you said that because to that point, that really reflects the, um, you know, one of the main assumptions about adult learners is we love to use and we rely on our past experiences to inform our learning, right? Whether it's expanding our learning or learning new information. So if we're going to capitalize on people's attention, which is, you know, it's growing shorter and shorter, why would we then decide that creating something totally new, totally different is a good decision. I would say it's not because you then have a learning curve that people have to, like, we're going to use technology, but we've been doing trainings for 10 years face-to-face. Okay, like, I get why you're saying that, but you need to recognize that everyone doesn't have experience with using technology as it relates to their learning. So you need to give time for the learning curve before you can even really get to the meat of the content. And that's where I say, you know, people really should look at or professionals should look at what they already have as opposed to what's the new thing on the market, what's the trending method or format that we should use. A hundred percent. I think that's a really great philosophy to have. And so I guess that when I think about that, then tell us, because you do have a wealth of experience in this field and that squiggly line, right? You are building on what you've done in your past in order to be an expert where you are now. So how have you, or what have you, what have you seen in terms of breakthroughs as you're working with clients? Uh, What are you seeing as some of those big breakthroughs that you're witnessing? Yeah, one that comes to mind, I while you were speaking, I had a flashback of 
all the courses and programs that I've developed over the years. And I remember I had to do a report, you know, on all of that. And I remember thinking, this is ridiculous. I've had to create 25 courses in a four-year period. Like this is just, I was angry because of it. But now I, looking back, I recognize part of that squiggly line was like the context has changed so much, but I was able to identify a common thread and the thread is what's effective, regardless of the topic, regardless of the audience, what's the common thread? What am I doing well that I can continue to do consistently? So I had that thought, but to answer your question or in conjunction to answering your question, I usually work with two types of people. Like they come with the same problem, but at the root of it, it's the person who hasn't done this work before. So they haven't really created something before and they you know, want to do a really good job, but there's a level of lack of confidence in doing it, or they come to me because they're not confident and they need to make some improvements. And what I share with those individuals is we are all good at something. We have natural ability in some respect. And so I encourage people to let's have a conversation about what you're naturally good at when it comes to facilitation and then let, or not facilitation, general conversation, and then let's leverage that when you're facilitating. And I'll give myself as an example, people that know me really well know that I'm not a big talker and that I'm pretty uh, reserved and somewhat shy at times, but People have seen me, you know, present at conferences and in, in workshops and they're like, oh my goodness, you're so outgoing and you're so friendly and social. I learned, what am I good at? I'm good at asking really thoughtful questions. So instead of getting in front of a workshop and being talkative, I have a tendency to ask very thought-provoking questions that guide learning. Perfect. And so what the audience experiences is a very meaningful interaction with me. And what I'm experiencing is I don't have to talk a whole lot. So I'm a firm believer in, again, leverage what you already have. You simply need to look at it from a different perspective. Then on the other side, I have people who, or I have organizations that come to me and, you know, they have all the parts, but what they don't have is a clear strategy. And given the years that I've, like just the years of experience in different capacities, I do have, in fact, have an innate ability to identify what are the gaps? What is the theme that's connecting those? And how can we build a strategy around that? And a lot of that comes also from being a researcher and conducting research. Yeah. Uh so fascinating when you were mentioning utilizing your skills, using yourself as an example, and how do you tap into that? It made me think of the very first question that you and I got into when we previously spoke was around being a skilled facilitator. And that's what you're explaining. And you know, we're on the same page when we think about that, because you are absolutely right for our adult learners, right? They want to come to conclusion. 
Correct. They Correct. want to be guided to that point of learning as opposed to us telling them. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Here, let me get you to there. We we guide them, right? That's what skilled facilitation is. We guide them. But Absolutely. I'm so grateful. That's so awesome that you were able. I mean, I'm grateful that you've been able to use your own experience to then find that and boost that in clients that you're working with. That's really amazing. Yeah. And it's funny because for those people in particular that, you know, feel that they come to me with the idea that they are struggling, you know, not that they're struggling, but that they're missing the mark. They don't have a particular skill set. I think it's very easy to say, okay, well, you need to develop this skill set, like this very specific skill set. That is a lot, like that's a a heavy burden to put on someone who already doesn't feel good about what they have to do or what they've done. And they're in the midst of, you know, trying to meet a a benchmark. And now you're going to tell them you have to meet a new skill set that they're, you know, uncomfortable with. And I just don't, I don't believe in taking that approach. I believe in firmly supporting people where they are building them up where they are, understanding their motivation. And if they're at a place where they say, you know, I want to learn this particular skill. Okay, then let's learn that particular skill. But if you're already overwhelmed, well, let's just start with what you got. Yeah. Well, and doesn't that kind of coincide with earlier in our conversation when we're talking about as you dig in, and ask good questions with your clients and your understanding what um, what they do have as far as instruction and what they do have as far as content. And, and what you had said earlier is, hey, we don't need to scrap all of this. Let's just build on to what exists. And you take that same, what I'm hearing from you is you take that same approach when you're also thinking about people and that idea of, of instead of necessary quote unquote reskilling, we're boosting, we're boosting, Absolutely. we're mm-hmm. we're building into that skill set that you already have and making making amazing out of it. Right, right. And and when it comes to strategy, one of the again, I think it's somewhat short sighted approach that people take is, okay, well, we have to build a new training, and the training is separate from the work. Like that makes no sense from a theoretical perspective or from a practical perspective. Adults spend most of our time working. We're either sleeping and working, you know, in a day. And the learning should be incorporated into the work, not simply at work, but into the work. And so there's a lot to be said for informal and non-formal learning. And again, when we look at, when I work with clients and looking at the strategy in particular, I'm always encouraging them to embed, yeah, you've got your formal training at two o'clock on Tuesday that they need to attend. That's all well and good, but how can we embed the content and the skill development activities in their daily activities? Because that is what is going to help them retain the information and confidently that is what's going to ensure that they're applying the skills that you want them to. Love that response and believe it wholeheartedly. And I hear you and I think that for organizations, I do think the easy 
I shouldn't say easy. None of this is easy, but I would say the check box part of it is being able to sit during your two o'clock training and have one hour of training and be done, right? Again, not easy, but that is the, I've checked that box. Um, I love that you are also talking about, because I do recognize that this might be challenging for organizations, is that transfer into how am I taking that one hour of education, of that learning, and moving it into that particular role. As we wrap up here, any thoughts around how do, how can, what does that look like? How do you guide folks to take that next step? Because I do think that's a challenging piece as um, designers. Yeah. You know, my heart of hearts, Cindy wants to say, yes, this is what you do. But that like, (laughs) it's not that simple. It really isn't. What I can say is that people need to have a strategy. And, and the reason I say have a strategy is because if you are working to build a strategy that includes formal, informal, non-formal learning, it focuses on engagement, retention, and application of information and skills, you're integrating it from the individual training to on-the-site training. That takes time and it takes a critical eye in order to answer those questions. And then let's also add on making sure it integrates with our organizational values, which I think is so important. So if you have no other job responsibilities, yeah, it's relatively easy to do. And I would argue it's actually fun and interesting. But if you've got other projects and other deliverables that you are responsible for, That's where I would say, you know, have a strategist come in and support you in that work because it requires a lot of question asking, a lot of answers, looking at things from a very different perspective. And, you know, I'll just do a shameless plug here. I invite people to schedule a conversation with me because it really is, it's powerful Once you have the strategy in place, it allows you to make shifts as the trends and as our society or as the business changes and evolves, but yet it serves as your framework. So it's going to be a consistent guide. It's just like the theory. The theory is the theory is the theory. It's not going to change significantly. Yes. What a great way to tie that all together. For some reason, when you were just lastly talking here, you know, it just strategy is strategy is strategy. And there's, you know, just made me pop into my mind. We teach at HCI, we have a class strategic workforce planning. And when you're talking about if we have as an L&D department or whatever role we might be in inside, outside of an organization related to learning and development, as we have that strategy, just like we do with strategic workforce planning, it gives us our North Star. And then within that North Star, it gives us the ability to be agile. And I think this goes all the way back to the threading through our entire conversation is that ability to ebb and flow and not have to restart every time. Absolutely. Oh, 
Absolutely. And let's not talk about employee retention, L&D, and even C-suite HR director retention. Like that level of stress for um, those individuals who are in the development side, like they're starting to become an exodus because it's so much work that there's a growing layers of expectations without support, so to speak. And, and I would argue that when we have a clear strategy, it really lessens the stress. It lessens the workload because the workload is more impactful. That's right. Because we have a guide. Absolutely. We have Absolutely. a guide and we can move within a guide. Absolutely. And if and for companies who are struggling with staffing and staff turnover, what an amazing way to to share with prospective employees that look, look at how we invest in you. We fully are committed to our employee training, our employee engagement. Yeah. So it serves multiple purposes. Yeah. And I always say this, even when I'm teaching classes, when we have that in place, it shows the value behind mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. Right? We're not just picking and, and throwing. We're literally intentional about the practice. Yeah. Well, we need to wrap up here, Dr. Graham, but any final thoughts? I know this was a great conversation. Thank you so much. But any final thoughts before we hop off? Yeah, I would say as a takeaway for the audience, if you focus on engagement, meaningful engagement of adult learners, you have their attention. And so they will be committed to information retention. And if people are retaining information, there is an increased likelihood that they're going to accurately apply that information. So always start with adult learning engagement. I love that. And I echo that, Dr. Graham. One of the memories I have from early steps into corporate world was a question that was on in a survey for engagement around, do people have the tools and resources to do their jobs? There we go. And that all ties it back. It does. It totally does. It all ties it back together. Well, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I know you are such a busy person. So I really appreciate you spending a little bit of time with us here today. It has been an absolute joy. You know, I've been looking forward to this conversation all week. So, you know, having conversations like this actually give me more things to think about. So thank you for the chance to chat with you and and share some insights with your audience. And I always invite people to reach out to me and, and let's have continued conversation about their needs. I love it. And I can echo, I had a a Dr. Graham conversation and we both parted from that earlier in the, in the month or what have you, and uh, both left re-energized. So I encourage encourage that for sure. Well, thank you again. And to our nine to thrive listeners, thank you so much. Um, Be sure to shoot us an email at podcast with an S at hci.org. If you do have any suggestions for topics, But also be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating. And I really mean it. Give us a rating. We want to hear how we're doing. It also helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. 
So for us here at Nine to Thrive HR and all of us at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in. And again, thank you, Dr. Graham, for spending this time with us. Thanks, everyone. Make it a great day.